Welcome to What's a Story, I'm Kim Burns, and I'm so happy to have these two interesting authors here today to talk about Home Will Never Be the Same Again, and this is a guide for adult children of gray divorce. Okay, this is not an easy read. I just wanna say right <laughs> off the bat, it's a really, it's tough to get through, not because it's not well-written or instructional, but because the topic is so difficult for so many people. I just wanna say, uh, first off, that Carol Hughes, you're a PhD, you hold a, a degree in clinical psychology, a master's degree in counseling psychology. Uh, Bruce, let's talk a little bit about you. You have an, um, an MS, an LMFT, and have been a California-licensed uh, marriage and family therapist for more than 30 years, amongst your many other credentials. So, uh -huh. at what at what point did the two of you decide that it was time to write this book? We were co-founders of Collaborative Divorce Solutions in Orange County, and started to work more with divorce and more with adult children of divorce. Uh, about one nine hundred thousand to one point two million people enter this experience every year. Three hundred thousand couples and their their adult children. So six hundred thousand individual, nine hundred thousand. I mean, it's really amazing. And you, you talk about in the book about divorce like this being the second highest stressor in anyone's life next to losing a spouse, which of course is a little bit of the opposite of you know, death versus divorce. But, um, but it's interesting that those numbers are so high because when you go through this and you talk about the incredible frightening details of uh, you know the stages that people go through and the grief and not only that, but then losing family fortunes. And let's talk a little bit about how you set it up so that you talk about the difference between a mediator versus litigation and trying to instruct people in getting through the process without not only tearing the family apart, but then losing a family fortune. So these parents end up destitute and then these adult children uh, are left with a larger burden than just a destroyed home. Yes, very well said, Kim. What we know in the divorce research with minor children is that the two issues that parents argue over are money and children. And in, when uh, parents have adult children, they don't argue over the children because the courts don't have any jurisdiction over them. Uh, so because we are family therapists, we really encourage parents to look at divorce processes such that you mentioned mediation, collaborative divorce, uh, cooperative divorce, which are family focused, so that they're focused on preserving the family relationships, even though the two parents are coming apart, uh, extended family relationships, community relationships, and also minimizing the financial cost. Because as we know, divorce can be very expensive, especially if battle lines are drawn. Right, and what are you seeing as far as in this particular age group, is it more men or women that are deciding to leave the marriage? Because believe me, I took a lot of polls while reading this amongst my own friends, did little guessing games here and there. They thought, are the women leaving, are the men women? And then of course we have to talk about the pandemic, everybody wants to leave, but that's, we'll talk about that later. Yes. <laughs> well, the research shows in the US that the majority of people who file for divorce are women. And one reason for that is that uh, women these days, over half of moms have uh, work outside the home. They have a job, a profession, a career, and they're not as financially dependent on their spouse. 
uh, so they have more independence that way. And uh, people are living longer. And so a lot of people are saying, gosh, I don't want to be unhappy for how many other more decades I have ahead of me. And lastly, uh, the 45 and 50 year olds and up uh, grew up in a time in our, in our country when divorce was considered more acceptable. And also, Kim, people don't know this, but we're seeing the same trend in other industrialized countries in the world. And why do you think that is, Carol? Do you think it's because of um, economic equality or simply because it's more widespread? I know in some uh, countries, you know, maybe it was religion or other things that did not allow for divorce. What, what is the theory behind that? I think it's what I was just explaining is that the industrialized countries, and we know that a lot of the industrialized countries take their lead from the United States in, this, in these kind of things, that women do have more power now financially, people are living longer, and marriage, a divorce rather, is more acceptable in the industrialized countries. So permission is given that way right. for and, to end their marriage. And of course, also, we, you talk so much about uh, when children leave the home, obviously things change dramatically and the, and the whole dynamic shifts because if the mother in particular has been the caretaker, first of all, she sort of feels like, well, that job is done, now what? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe it's a little bit of me time. Uh, I know that a lot of women react in that way and they think, well, now I'm not gonna stay home and take care of this guy. Mm -hmm. uh, wh what sort of uh, theory work did you do on that? Because I know that you talk about like attachment theory throughout and how from cradle to grave, people have various ways of, of dealing with attachment. Uh, but at some point women say, guess what? I'm kind of done, I'm, I'm sort of done with that even though the children may not be. Yes. Well, it is true that women are making the initiative more than men. So, you know, as a man, I, I probably can't speak to that as well as Carol can. I, I think that um, historically, most men, uh, more men have had affairs than, than their wives. Not that women don't. So I think what happens at sometimes is the, the marriage has got to the point where it's either mutual toleration or they're, they're distant, it's almost like roommates, or the one hasn't told the other one it's almost like roommates, and then the wife discovers an affair. And if she's not been happy in the marriage anyways, she doesn't have to have been angry, just not happy, and then find out that she's uh, spending her time and it's not gonna get better, um, they go. And it's as Carol pointed out, because oh, it's easier for women now, since the second wave of uh, feminism in the 70s, when women started uh, breaking into more professions, and now that's what, 40, 50 years ago, uh, women have a much better ability to make choices. I don't have to stay just because I'm, I need the money and I'm healthy. Um, I'm gonna live longer, I don't need this guy. And people want more from marriage than they used to too. Absolutely, and uh, do you see any uh, thread through this where women also feel empowered because they're not going to put up with any type of abuse, whether it's physical or mental, and they get to this point and they think, boy, I kind of don't like the way this guy talks to me, and I can do something about it now because society is more apt to listen. Exactly. There's a lot more information these days about abuse. Uh, I think still though, most people, if you polled the United States population, would ask, if we ask what is abuse, they would say physically hitting. 
but we there's a lot more education from elementary school children right on up into adults that abuse has a wide range from mental emotional abuse all the way to physical sexual abuse so there's more education about that and i think you're right kim uh, women are less likely to put up with that these days Right. So there's a there's a part in the book where you talk about interpersonal neurobiology or relational neuroscience. Can you explain that? I, I, I think it's fascinating uh, the way that people obviously that's we're humans. We have these attachments without them. We're nothing. We're not human. We can't move forward. Uh, and that this changes throughout our life I mean, people change circumstances change but how does it change with uh if you're looking at it from a scientific standpoint or from a neurological standpoint when these sort of drastic changes occur so we aren't neuroscience research experts we quoted you know, some of the research that is in our field but what we know is that attachment which you mentioned earlier kim is a primal issue for uh, uh, humans because when we're born, uh, we depend on our parents or caregivers for literally our life. And the neuroscience supports that throughout the lifespan that these attachments are still primal. Uh, now, obviously these adult children have grown up and some are already married, they have those attachments as well. But that, that um, the parent-child relationship is really forever. And so when the, the, the parents come apart, it often ruptures the parent-child attachment bond, even though those children are adults. And that's quite upsetting to uh, adult children. Our society thinks it shouldn't be, uh, but it is. Well, I think that uh, you talk a lot about, obviously we, we grow up in these families and all these routines are established, whether holidays or how you celebrate a birthday, uh, how you interact just in your nuclear family. And when it's blown to bits, uh, people just don't know how to react to that. They don't know how to integrate again. And then of course, if there's a you know, consternation between uh, the, the relationships with the parents and the children, or there's infighting of that nature, then there is no ability to ever see the future as what the past was. So I, I, I see that why children, of course, no matter what it is, are people too, and they're looking for that structure somehow. I mean, they feel like it was there, it disappeared, now what do we do? Um, and I compare it to oxygen. It's, it's, this has been somebody's family their entire, entire life. That's all they've ever known. In fact, I'll often ask clients, uh, what's the most important thing in your life? And people will say, my kids, my spouse, if they're religion or whatever it is, and I always tell them, you're wrong, and I'll point out it's oxygen. And if you don't believe me, put your head underwater for two minutes and you won't even remember your mother's name. You'll, <clears throat> but you never notice it. I hope nobody's taking it. your advice, Bruce. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I always tell them, don't sue me. Don't really do it. But, right. but the, right. the whole thing is, it, they don't, you don't even think of it. It's so precious. We can't be without it for even a few minutes. But we never identify it as the biggest thing until it's gone. And so that's how it hits people when their parents divorce. If it's been their their universe. It's just been a constant their entire life. And now it's gone and everything changes. And uh, for, for humans, early humans, living in groups meant staying alive, being kicked out of the group was a death sentence. So, you know, it, it really hits people hard and they start questioning other things in their life as well. And then the, you mentioned the, the, the celebrations, okay? Now they have to figure out how am I going to manage 
family Thanksgivings. It's going to be one with mom, one with dad. Um, my kids are never going to get to see grandma and grandpa together again. And what if somebody needs money? What if they're falling apart? What if the, well, families tend to choose up sides. Usually it's the person's siblings will take their side or their parents. And so somebody that's been welcome in the family for 25 or 30 years is now despised. And how are they going to come together for the, the birth and the weddings and the graduations and all those things that have to be figured out by the adult child now while they're still trying to run their own life. And their spouse may not buy into family resources going outside the family sure. when, you know. Well, but then the question, of course, you have to beg is, what about the people that then stay together because they don't want all of these things to happen and the domino effect of, of blowing up the family. But at the same time, they have these celebrations and maybe people really aren't even aware that they're either toxic or they're lacking in love or cohesiveness. Uh, I'm sure you've seen that a zillion times in your practices over the 30 plus years that you've been working. Uh, what, what sort of advice do you give those people? And then does that advice help them make the decision whether it's worth it to carry on fraudulently or go through this horrific process? Well, I'll let you take that one, Carol. Yeah, you go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, between the two of us, we know everything. So that's one, yeah. Um, <laughs> The first step to getting out of jail is to notice that you're in one. And so a lot of people, you know, in fact, if somebody showed up on my office and says, oh, my family was like a TV family, like the Brady Bunch or something like that, there's a red flag going off because number one, almost nobody's family is like that. And there's a lot of denial and people make adjustments. So also, more people are reading self-help books and a lot more is known about the value of therapy than it was when I was growing up. Nobody I knew ever went to therapy. But still, I think the vast majority of people just learn to settle for things and don't have any idea of the help that could be available to them if they went to see uh, an experienced family therapist that's neutral, so it's not, we're not caught up in their pain because we we're not living theirs. We've got our own stories, right? Our own little stories of limitation and lack, but we can see their right. things more clearly and help them out. And so I would say if you're, if you're dissatisfied with your family, with your marriage, before you throw it away, invest in some help. If, number one, it's a lot less expensive than a divorce, I can tell you that. And if it works, mm -hmm. and it generally does, then life's going to be better. And you ask about okay. how, how do they decide if it's worth it? Yeah. Working with someone, getting education about uh, what can make their marriage better, and also getting education about what divorce is really like can help them decide because the therapist shouldn't decide for them. If it's worth it, the couple needs to decide that. Right, uh, I agree. Now, what if we're talking about a third party being in the relationship, whether secretly or known to both parties? I mean, I've known plenty of people who have separate relationships, but everyone's in agreement, so then they decide not to divorce. But what about the situation where you have people who have separate situations because of a need or a lack within the marriage, uh, then, that comes into the the your office what do you know what, what sort of advice can you possibly give at that point give to that person who has a secret relationship on the side is that your question kim 
Yeah, it, it is because it's really a question of if people are looking outside for whatever they feel like they're lacking, uh, that may happen, of course, before they take a drastic step because they're just looking for a personal need to be filled, a sadness. Uh, I took my informal poll with my girlfriends. I said, what's the number one reason you think that you would stray or your husband? And everybody said sex. Mm. Mm. Okay. So uh, I, was, I was not shocked, but I thought, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, Maybe that somebody's not interested anymore or what have you. And mm -hmm. so I'm just curious as to what, what you do at that point. I mean, I, it's a really tough, it's a tough situation. It's a very I, I guess I'd start off by wanting to know what they want to do about it. Is it something they're willing to tolerate? Is it something they're willing to discuss? That'd be the, the hardest question for a lot of people discussing those things and making themselves vulnerable mm -hmm. is a big obstacle. And so um, giving somebody unsolicited advice isn't usually very helpful. So it'd have to be somebody who at least wanted to come in and talk, but it's a, you're, for your listeners to be uh -huh. thinking of that, that I'm not going to be meeting. I would ask them, are you willing to talk about it? Because if, and then if you are, then you find out if your spouse is, or you invite your spouse to come in and meet with somebody and maybe start with some of the, the lighter topics of why you're unhappy in the marriage so that you can have that facilitated conversation when you get to the really hard things that it's, you know, they might come in to talk about junior, maybe junior's got a problem, or maybe there's some other less important problem that they'll come in for. And that'll open the door to a conversation. <laughs> we also tell, tell so, people uh, that we're as sick as our secrets. So what, how do you want to look inside yourself and see, do you want to keep living this way, even though you're getting needs met? You know, d does that feel like integrity to you? Kind of educate people about to, that too. And sometimes that helps them be willing to talk about it, as Bruce was saying. And I, I also frequently ask couples who are coming apart or they're unhappy, what is it that you noticed at the very beginning or noticed early on in this relationship that you then pretended to yourself you didn't notice it because you were really enjoying all the good stuff you were getting from the person? And almost everybody can tell me what it was, you know, and mm -hmm. so that may be what's really rising up is right. that, that one trait that they never acknowledged. That they're missing mm -hmm. now, and, well, and I, helps I, them be willing right, to talk and, maybe and, about it. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think though that over the span of let's say 20, 25 years, people change and people grow in different ways than mm -hmm. other people do, and they say, "I'm just this is lacking what I really need now," and yes. is that a legitimate reason? It it does happen certainly. What you just described, Kim, and is it legitimate for that person? You know, we, I, I think it's easy to judge people until we've walked in their shoes. So is a legitimate yes. reason, reason for them. But I can, right. I can offer something they could do if they wanted to change their, their marriage, if they have drifted apart for whatever reasons. Um, there's a researcher up at the University of Washington, the Gottmans, you may have heard of them. Um, and what they found was there was one, quantifiable variable that you could actually predict who's going to divorce and who isn't going to divorce. And that is when the ratio of positive to negative interactions falls below five to one, 
So that means that for every negative interaction, which could be a negative thought about the person, a look on their face, a look on your face, a harsh word, a fight, anything that's negative needs to be counterbalanced by at least five positive interactions or the bond starts to wither away. <clears throat> so I tell people that who come in with that problem, you know, we're just bored with each other, we're unhappy, there's no zest in our life, or I really wanna go away and I can identify that their fun serum levels are really down, I suggest people make a, a list of, for themselves of things that they both like to do together that are always fun. And then th they're never gonna be at a loss for a way to keep up those, that ratio of five to one. And people say, well, we get, to, like, we get along most of the time. Well, 80% is most of the time, but that's only four to one. And this was proven with uh, functional MRIs even for just getting along on an everyday basis with people who you're not in an intimate relationship with requires three positives to one negative. And in a marriage or a, a business partnership, you want to have five at least, but preferably seven. So you need to have those activities where you're constantly feeding the positive because we're all busy, right? right. And when families are busy, no matter how busy they are, they always take time to have those family business conversations that are necessary. And the topic is never, honey, what are we gonna do with all this money? That's never the topic in my house. It's always about something somewhat unpleasant. You know, maybe a child needs braces or college tuition and you want them to have it. And now you're having to deal with the fact you really wanted a new car that day. <laughs> it's just still, you know, bad news. But people take time for that. They need to take time to invest in the fun things, even little things to keep the ratio up. Well, I think that's really, really valuable information, Bruce, mm -hmm. because I think what people do is they make blanket accusations. They get to such a negative point in the relationship that everything the person does is negative, and then they don't even see the positive. They're not seeing any ratio at all. They're just seeing a, a big black hole. Uh, let's yeah. move to the uh, children topic a little bit. So adult children are stakeholders and their parents divorce and i think that was that was a really interesting part of the book for me where kids kids get nervous kids want to come in and say you know what poor mom she's been through a lot we're here with a lawyer or whomever it is to sort of take over and make sure our inheritance doesn't get wiped out or our house doesn't get taken away so let's talk a little bit about the children because that's what this this is really about in the end Right, and a lot, of adult, a lot of parents don't think about their children being stakeholders, and they don't think about, uh, let's say they're going through a litigation process, how much money of the children's inheritance they could be spending in battle. Uh, and so we, again, encourage the parents to at least learn about all the options if they're going to go through divorce, a divorce process that's family-focused so that the relationships and the finances of the family are not destroyed. Did I answer your question, Kim? You did. Um, and I think it, then going to the next step is, uh, have you ever been in a situation where uh, the parents you know, have a legitimate reason for divorce or they're just at a stage where they wanna go on and they're, they wanna start a, a fresh new chapter for themselves, whether we're gonna judge that or not really isn't the issue here, but that children, as we know, adult children, can be overbearing, can be selfish, can be putting themselves ahead of a parent's happiness, which is not the right thing to do. But I'm sure you've seen it many times. And how do you manage that? Well, you know, when, when, when kids are young, 
you know, the parents might stay together for the kid, then they might put their happiness aside. And, and there is research that shows that if it's a low conflict marriage, even if the parents are unhappy or dissatisfied, the kids aren't going to suffer that much. They're actually going to be okay. And a divorce might hurt them more. If it's a high conflict marriage, then going through a divorce is actually can be a relief for the kids unless the parents get into a high conflict divorce as well. But with adult children, it, it, it's different. It's, our, our thing is not that the parents shouldn't divorce or don't have a right to divorce because of how it's going to affect their adult children. They just need to be aware of how it's affecting their adult children so that they can preserve their own relationships with their children going forward in life. Uh, when families start choosing upside or if a parent insists that, you know, you're for me or against me. So if you're in, in helping out your other parent, then you're my enemy or you're betraying me. That's going to be hard to fix later on or if the extended family sucks the ch adult children into the battles, it's going to be hard. So if the parents just understand that this is affecting them and don't turn their kids into their confidant and uh, not rely on them for the main emotional support or the against the other parent or not to be the main financial support if they can avoid it, that makes it easier for their adult children to carry on so that post-divorce, there's just a lot less damage to overcome. All right. Uh, now, I know I'm oversimplifying this, but some of these personality types that you're talking about are just shallow, selfish people. Sorry. I mean, really, we all know that you can't put it on the kids. We all know not to badmouth the spouse if you're going through a divorce. I mean, these things are sort of the basics. Uh, so we are talking about you having, as psychologists, having to deal with people who, you know, have, have difficulty being fair, have difficulty looking out for others than other than themselves. Maybe they've been selfish in the marriage and they're continuing to be selfish the way they're managing the extended family. So there, there's kind of a couple of different dynamics going on here, not just the divorce and not just the children of the divorce, but the personality profiles involved. Yes, I was thinking as, uh, as you were talking, as Bruce was talking, the different personality styles of the parents and the adult children are factors here as well. And we didn't have, it was beyond the scope of our book to get into that. But if people want to read about the different personality styles, uh, there's a great website that a colleague, in fact, he wrote the preface, uh, the foreword to our book, Bill Eddy. He founded the highconflictinstitute.com. Uh, and he, people can read about the very difficult personality types highconflictinstitute.com. It's been around for about 12 years. And he educates people. He's got a ton of free information, blogs, articles about the five high conflict personalities. Uh, and that's, a, that's a, another book. In fact, he's written several books about those folks. Okay, so I have to tell you that I love Bill Eddy and mm -hmm. I interviewed him for that book. I also interviewed him for one of his recent books, Why We Elect Narcissists and sociopaths to political yes. office. Mm -hmm. And Bill and I had a very delightful conversation since we're sort of on the same page with electing narcissists. And yes, I right. won't mention any names. Mm -hmm. uh, but I heard yeah, about I them in a history book, yeah. yeah. Exactly. There you go. I mean, he does talk a lot about history and yes. how history repeats itself. 
yeah. ability is fascinating. Everybody it should is. look at that. And everybody should look at, I love when he goes through the conflict personalities and really what he's examining are ways to avoid getting sucked in by people yes. who it's all about them or, yes. or what have you. Uh, let's shift a little bit to what you're seeing currently because of the crazy climate we're living in with the pandemic. And there must be some fallout from the fact that nobody wants to talk to anybody who they live with anymore. And I don't know if you're seeing an uptick in divorces or in, in your practice where people are coming in and saying, if this person doesn't get out of my house, I'm gone. Well, yes, we are seeing that uh, locally. Uh, definitely an uptick. And part of that is the pandemic and people are living together who don't want to be together. The other part of it is that the courts are closed, um, except for emergencies. And so, because we do out of court family focused divorce work with family law attorneys, we're seeing more people coming to us uh, because they're learning they can't even get a court date until sometime next year, 2021. So that is definitely happening in our, our area. And what we read is that worldwide, if we look at China and Italy, uh, who did see a drop in their COVID cases, during that time, uh, their divorce rate spiked. Uh, so people who in this field follow statistics and so forth are saying, once we have the COVID rates going down, we'll likely see another spike, just like China and Italy. Yeah, I mean, it's not, obviously it's not surprising when you really think about it because right. Uh, styles, personal styles clash, and the way that I, I would think humans get along is because they don't have to spend time together, <laughs> I mean, when you really think about it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, right. people are independent. It's, it's sort of, you need, you need the bond, you need the connection, but you certainly don't need them in your kitchen all day. 24-7, right. 24-7, right. it's just, it's really, it's insane. So, so what's next? What's, what's next? Any trends that you're seeing? Any, any advice that you can give to people just in general? Because if we go back to any type of lockdown, I mean, we've seen it obviously in horrible ways, uh, violence in the streets and all this. I mean, people are unable to take any, any more of this. So what, what advice could you give the people you see and what can you tell my listeners? Well, well you talked all, about the, go ahead, Bruce. you go talked ahead. about the, the problem with people that just aren't going to work, like the, the high conflict people. <clears throat> and you know, the, the, then you just want to minimize your interaction. So we can talk about with those people, like the best advice I can give somebody, uh, unless you yourself are a jerk, don't marry a jerk, you know, <laughs> because it's not going to work. But if you, uh, for the people who are actually amenable to change that want things to work, um, you know, in Japan, they call this phenomenon retired husband syndrome. You know, that, as you said, they're underfoot. More places than Japan, Bruce. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yes. I think that, you know, these are special circumstances. And, and it does take a certain amount of tolerance to get along with even the people we love on a regular basis. And, and so if people can maybe learn some uh, stress management techniques of their own, like meditation or whatever, or exercise, or, or things that you can change your emotional state. Because if I'm right up at the top in my, uh, you know, adrenal hyper adrenalized state you know i'm a hop skip and a jump from a fight you know and, I, and you don't want to be in that state you want to be lower and so i um henry james gave a, some advice to his nephew one time on life the three most important things in life number one is be kind number two is be kind number three is be kind 
So I think if people really want it to work, you have to decide, is this a hill I want my relationship to die on? You know, picking your battles till we can get out and get away from each other more and more. And we don't have to get fighting mad about everything that irritates us. You know, we can maybe save it for the, uh, for the important issues and practice our own stress management. Well, I mean, you must have some advice from people who are stuck together. I mean, I, when I hear anyone coming in my house, I just find a door the other way out of the room. Just, I mean, because you really want to avoid feeling like you have no space of your own. And I, I, I hope I'm not a, an avoider or somebody who practices the silent treatment. Oops, I guess I do. But anyway, the point is, is that you have to come up with your own way to manage it so that you're not combustible. Right. Yes. And we have some tips exactly how to do that in the chapter on hope and healing. We also Very have some tips. We've put some tips together for your listeners, free, uh, for that, the, adult, yeah. the adult children that would be fabulous. And, and the parents. And we can either send right. them to you and you send them to your listeners if they ask you, or we have an email address that they can email us and we'll send it to them. Well, let's do both. So okay. if you could uh, give out the email address now mm -hmm. and we are going to wrap it up. And then if you would send those to me, I'd be happy to post it right. with, uh, the, with the podcast and the video. Excellent. The email address is the title of the book, which you held up at the beginning. Home will never be the same again at gmail.com. Wonderful. So Carol and Bruce, any last words? I really appreciate you the time today. It's been, it's been wonderful. It's been enlightening. It's a little scary. I mean, this isn't the kind of book that I say, to, oh, I can't wait to finish this. I was just like, <laughs> wow, this is really, it's some intense stuff. And it's obviously, I, well, I, I think that people who are actually going through this will find it one of the most useful handbooks available. So we thank you for that. Um, and others may just be interested to understand how the system works better. My last question when we were talking about the courts being closed, that, that could go off and on forever because even when they've opened up, it's for you know the, the most important cases may not be for family court or what have you. So do you find that people then are leaving the house and not going through a legal process or not going through a formal process because they're still trying to attain uh, some semblance of independence, or do you, am I wrong? Well, um, we see a lot of different things in our practices, and certainly we do see that, Kim, where they just agree to separate, but just kind of keep everything else, the finances and everything status quo. And I was likening it to something you said a few minutes ago, that you were hoping you weren't an avoider. You know, we teach people, adults, that adults need timeouts too. And so when you are going to another room, you're essentially taking a time out to calm, you know, your emotional reactivity system. And mindfulness practice is one of the practices that we stress for clients. And it's in the last chapter of Hope and Healing, all the different research of what, how what mindfulness has been found to be so helpful for people. So I would underscore what Bruce was saying about stress reduction earlier. Right, because obviously uh, when you're reacting without mindfulness, that's when things are said that you may regret or that's when you just start the downhill slide of animosity and negativity that is, is you know, it's hard to go backward. Yes. So, okay, so where do we, where do we tell the listeners to find this book? 
Amazon. Yeah, if you Google the name of the book, Amazon is the first place that comes up. It's also available through the publisher, romanandlittlefield.com, and uh, every other outlet. It, it's everywhere. Wonderful. Carol Hughes and Bruce Fredenberg, thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you. This is Kim Burns, and this is What's the Story?